I know it's been about two weeks since my last podcast. Uh, you might think it's because all's quiet on the Western Front, and I was just getting ready for uh, Christmas and taking a break. Uh, that would have been nice, but the evil, vile people of the world didn't want that to happen. So I'm just going to catch you up really quickly on what they have been doing to me for the past couple of weeks. Uh, so I keep getting phone calls from random private numbers, by the way, claiming that I have to contact them because they're legal things that need to be taken care of. Uh, these calls come at very random times when offices aren't open. And the people give me their first names, call me by, their, by my first name, and then give me the dumbest credentials <laughs> if you want to call them that, in the world. And basically what they're trying to do is they're trying to arrest me because I am standing in their way. Now, my best friend keeps saying, arrest you for what, Mandy? Like, you know, I don't know what their plan is if they decide to follow through legally because nothing. I have told you before that I have been involved in legal things for years, years and years and years. Uh, the one that I keep coming back to when I'm using uh, my <laughs> spidey sense to see what these people are really trying to do is the murder trial that I was the only witness for. Now, this trial... I had the unfortunate experience of having a dad kill his young, young baby. And it happened where I was living and the crime scene became my apartment. So I had a whole bunch of cops and medical examiners and EMTs, paramedics, all of the law enforcement in my apartment as well as the dad and the mom, and then obviously the deceased baby. Now, the mom was not a part of this. It was the dad all the way. After the horrific night, I about a couple weeks later, I got a card on my door from a private investigator, and it said, uh, please call me at this number. So I called and, and he said, I am investigating the death of this baby and I would really appreciate it if you would write down your experience, everything that you saw, everything that happened. He said, no detail is too small. So I sat down and I wrote it all out and I gave it to him and then he interviewed me uh, personally uh, with the my statement to just see how well uh, they matched up because here's the thing that uh, these traffickers keep forgetting is if you repeat the same thing over and over and over again the exact same way, you're lying uh, because our memories change from time to time and we 
won't always say word for word what has happened. <laughs> so that's one of the ways that you can tell these traffickers are lying is because they just keep repeating the same story over and over and over again. All right. Uh, after that, I got word that they had enough evidence to take the dad to court. So they asked me if I would be a witness for them. I was the only witness that wasn't family or law enforcement. So I was basically the only impartial witness. Uh, they told me that they would sequester me because the dad was still living across the hall and they didn't want him to come after me. So they didn't let him know that I was a witness. They didn't let him know I was there in court. Uh, I was put in a room by myself with another policeman and when it was my turn to testify, I did it through, it wasn't in the days of video chat and all that kind of stuff. So basically I did it through um, kind of <laughs> telecom uh, where the judge would ask me questions, the lawyer would ask me questions and I would just answer them. Uh, I was never in the courtroom because I was sequestered for my own safety. Now they never once addressed me by my first name like we were besties and they never gave me just their first name. I always got this is first, last, these are my credentials, this is where I'm from, this is what I do. Okay and I would they would say are you and ask me my full name and I would say yes and they would say are you this um Amanda and I would say yes and then they would proceed after they had given me their full credentials first. So I get these phone calls where it's, hey Mandy, this is Brittany with the constable's office. Uh, yeah, she called three times, I think. Uh, yeah, the constable's office. <laughs> okay, and hey, Brittany, I don't know you, so why are you doing it by, you know, first name basis? She also, this was really interesting, uh, called our landline that we only give out to certain people. And on the landline, she goes, I've been trying to get you at your Sandy house and you're just not there. Uh, yeah, we, we moved to Goshen and everybody knows it. So they were just trying to get me to call back and say, oh, you've got the wrong place. And this is, you know, uh, obviously let's get together. No, I'm not doing that. So the next weekend, I get this uh, phone call from somebody else that says, hey, Amanda, uh, so this is Jared, and I'm calling from the Provo City Council office. You're what? Have you ever heard of a city council office having anything to do with a hearing on nothing? Uh, because what I know is that if you are actually involved in a hearing, they will let you know. They will talk to you. They will send out word and say either you're being investigated or we're investigating this other person. And they will give you all of the information that they have. They have to. We've talked about this before where they can't just do it behind your back. We're not a communist country. All right. He called and then uh, that night, with people 
banging on our door. I wasn't uh, actually home at the time, and I keep getting these calls one right after the other. And it's all Jared from his personal number on a Saturday night claiming that he has to get in touch with me and I have to help him fulfill his legal obligations. I don't. That is not my job. And if I am just being asked to be a witness for people, then I can decline. I don't have to. Uh, That's my right. The other issue with that is that the last hearing that I attended for uh, Lindsay and Derek and the custody case, Michelle, she showed up. Michelle Morrell, uh, they had Derek's army there in force, showing off their money, showing off their power, showing off their control, making sure that we were being treated horribly in the courtroom and the judge allowed it. I walk in to testify when I'm already sworn in as a witness. I've already testified for this case, so there shouldn't be a problem with me testifying again. And they kicked me out. Now, if you are so desperate to have me come and be a witness at some illegal, non-existent hearing, don't kick me out of the one that I was there to testify for. You know, if you want to know what I, what information I have, then let the lawyer ask me. If you kick me out, then I'm not going to take it serious that you want me back in court, right? So after this happened, uh, we were heading out to do some Christmas shopping and our truck started acting very, very weird. Now this truck is one, the best work vehicle I have because I work with animals and on land up in the mountains and we have to haul things. And this is not just uh, my only personal vehicle. It's also the best vehicle I have for work. And they messed with it to the point that we had to spend a week trying to figure out what was wrong with it. And we get to replace the engine on this truck that has never given us any problems whatsoever. What they did was, uh, one of the things they did was they loosened our oil filter so that all of the oil dumped and we were driving dry. (laughs) All of you who know anything about cars just went, ouch. Yeah, we did too. So instead of leaving me alone and letting me have Christmas with my family, they are costing us thousands of dollars again Uh, got rid of the only vehicle I have personally that I can drive around and kept showing up to my house, uh, pounding on the doors late at night uh, while we're trying to, you know, do our Christmas stuff. And we get this pounding on the door and our dogs are stressed and we're stressed and we're tired. and, And they, the last one, He stayed at our door for a half hour, pounding on our door for a half hour. It's also at this time that Michelle Morell decides to do a fake uh, Facebook profile so that she can harass me 
on Ali Cohen's Facebook page because I told you they won't come onto my page. Uh, they will only do Ali's. And so, Michelle, it's not even good. And it's so obvious it's her. Um, and she's named it Fake Therapist Detector. Woo! And sits there and tells me that, you know, I deserve everything that's happening to me. I'm a terrible person. Uh, I'm a coward. Uh, that I am the problem. And she is just trying to make sure that, you know, I'm found out for who I am. Well, okay. But if you're hiding behind a, a fake profile to out somebody and let the world know who they are, are you really trying to do the right thing? And if you are so intent on making sure that the truth is known, then be honest and tell people who you are. I have never tried to hide my identity in this entire thing. I have never tried to hide the identity of anybody in our organization. Now, I won't tell a lot of personal details about us because number one, I am a very private person. And number two, uh, that's not for me to do. If the other people in our organization want to give personal information, they can. Now, I gave some personal information about Allie the last podcast because she said I could. Uh, but I'm not going to just do that. That's their prerogative, not mine. All right. So here's the interesting thing about Michelle calling me out as a coward, uh, calling me out as a bad person, is her borderline is raging right now. And she is alone. She is losing all of her support, all of her power. And so she's trying to get the support from other places. And like I said, her borderline is raging. So she just goes and goes and goes on Allie's Facebook page. Uh, she just can't stop. She'll respond to herself. Now, there's one thing about it that I happen to know with borderlines. If they don't get the recognition that they want, then they will change venues. Um, and Michelle completely outed herself as a borderline and said, you know, Mandy, you only get like one like from one person. So you aren't who you claim you are. And you don't have all of these resources that you claim you have. Well, I don't use Facebook to be liked. I use Facebook to give information. If I want to be liked, I go hang out with my friends in real life because that's a better connection anyway. My brother used to do that. He would go on Reddit and he would do these posts and everybody would stroke his ego. Oh, you're so smart. You're so brilliant. So great. And then he would do another post and, and this went on for a while. And then people got tired because he just kept saying the same things over and over and over again. And how many times can you say that the exact same thing is so great? Yeah, borderline. They have 
no creativity. They can't come up with any other arguments besides the one that they have. And they think that you should praise them 100% for that one argument. Well, Michelle put on there that I only get one like, and, and the irony is she doesn't have any. One of the comments I got from, it was on uh, either my Common Sense Therapy page or Allie's page, I can't remember, but it was, Mandy, you're claiming that a whole mental health issue is evil. Yeah, I am. In fact, there's more than one. I would say that sociopaths are evil. I would say that psychopaths are evil. And I would say that voyeurs <laughs> are not great people. That's how you lead to becoming a sexual predator is you start with voyeurism. So that's the gateway drug to becoming sexually evil. Yes, there are mental health issues that create evil. There are. So, you know, use your information. Figure out what you're talking about. You can't tell me that I'm the only one who thinks that because anybody who knows borderline will tell you these people in trafficking are evil. They're not good people. And yes, I will claim that. And I will claim that all the time. These are evil, evil people who don't care about anybody but themselves. And they barely care about themselves. Now, they only care about themselves to the amount of power they can get and control that they have over other people. It isn't that they go around liking themselves. They don't. They know how bad they are. They go around trying to convince everybody else that they aren't as bad as they know they are. It's exhausting, but they won't stop. I'm sure that there are people out there who think it doesn't bother me to be hated and attacked as much as I am. You would be wrong. I, it's exhausting. I don't like it. I don't like what it does to my family. I don't like what it does to my life. I get tired of having to always be in protective mode or evasive mode, or I can't just drive down the street and be okay. They are out to get me. And that's not paranoia. That is my reality. And it is exhausting. So this Christmas season, as I was being attacked and they were costing me more money again, and they were on Facebook saying that I owed them everything and that I am everything that is wrong and I don't have any right to life, liberty, and the pursuit of happiness, which is everybody's inalienable right. Um, it's exhausting. And I looked at it and I was wondering, should I actually keep going with these podcasts? Because sometimes it seems like it's not really doing anything. But then I looked at the stats. We get a report of people who are listening and what they're listening to and where they're from. And And I was watching a couple of documentaries on <laughs> uh, sexual predators and really bad people. 
and I, I realized that people are listening. And the most popular episode that we have in this entire podcast miniseries is the one on how to be a resistance. Now, if people weren't listening and people didn't care and they weren't trying to stand up for what was right, that one would not be the most popular one. So right there, I look at the fact that, okay, people want to stand up against this evil. Now, through these documentaries that I've been watching and these uh, true stories that I have been reading about, I also realized that we have to stand against this evil. We have to speak against this evil. We have to let everybody know where this evil comes from and what it looks like so that we don't let it permeate our lives. Utah is the second in the nation for trafficking. It is not that way because we want it to be. It's that way because people don't want to believe what they are hearing when they're hearing it. People are hiding in plain sight and we need to pay attention. Sean Ray's is not running for re-election because he's afraid to be found out. He went and apologized to anybody who would have called him out in a re-election. doTERRA, they contribute. They are a huge financial contributor to the human trafficking, anti-human trafficking movement. And yet I 50% of the human traffickers I know of work for doTERRA, including Ed Rowe, who happens to be the CEO of the Sterling Foundation, which is doTERRA's um, charity. Now, when you're watching all of these documentaries and reading all of these stories, do you know where these people hide? They hide within these charities. They go overseas to pretend to help people while they are buying kids in these foreign countries because it's so easy. And then they come back to the U.S. and they're these big celebrities and they get people on board and take these kids because they can. They need to be outed. We need to be shining a light on this evil. The movement is huge. Every time I talk to somebody, I it's like the human trafficking is coming out of the woodwork. I told you about that before, where I will have a situation where I'm dealing with one issue and everybody seems to come out of the woodwork with that issue. Well, I keep turning around and people are like, yeah, my dad was a human trafficker or uh, yeah, my friends were trafficked or, you know, I know this family that they're traffickers. And all the while 
the traffickers are sitting there claiming that they're great people and they're pushing money to anti-trafficking organizations so that they won't be caught. And the politicians are saying, yeah, I'm fighting against that. Except that when you call the politicians and you talk to them and you say, this is going on, these are the names of the people and you need to step up and do something about it, they ghost you. They don't want to be involved in it. I, as an example, and this isn't with trafficking, but there is a licensing division in Utah. It's called the Department of Professional Licensing, uh, Doppel for short. And I was told by so many people that nobody checks Doppel. Doppel is a government entity. And nobody checks them. They're allowed to do whatever they want. Now, I happen to know that they will push through therapists who will give the right diagnoses to kids so that they can be trafficked. I've seen it happen and nobody is checking it. Nobody. I even wrote the head of the Department of Commerce for Utah, which is also a government entity, and they're supposed to be over Doppel. And I wrote the head of him, and I said, uh, the head of that organization, and I told him, I said, Doppel needs to be checked out. And he said, well, I can't, because that's a conflict of interest. What? You're their boss. How is that a conflict of interest? I happen to know that there are people who are aiding and abetting the traffickers that work for DCFS. And other people know it too. This is not just me. So there's one uh, particular person who works for DCFS. His name is Greg. And not the same as Gregory Lamb. I know all these evil people seem to have the same names. <laughs> Coincidence, I guess. <laughs> anyway, so he was told about child abuse and trafficking. And the kids were trying to flee from their parents. And they went to, I told them to go to JRC, which is basically juvie. And I said, check yourself in for the night so that we can get the paperwork going and hopefully get you out of the situation. And they were talking to the intake person and they, he said, did you call DCFS? And they said, yeah, we did. Uh, and he asked who they talked to and, and the kids said, Greg. And the intake guy looked at them and said, oh yeah, Greg. And Nobody does anything about it. When we called and asked to speak to Greg's supervisor and said, do you know what he's doing? She said, yeah, but what are you going to do about it? Um, well, in the private sector, you'd get fired. That's what you could do about it. So why is it in the government portion of it, they just shrug their shoulders and say, well, we can't do anything. And over all of this is supposed to be the Utah State Attorney General's office, led by who? Sean Rays. So he actually is supposed to be on top of this stuff. But what he's got is a whole bunch of corruption, aiding and abetting trafficking. And he won't do anything about it. So there's one place that they are hiding. 
the traffickers are hiding within these government entities and they are just running amok and doing whatever they want to. And the other place is they're hiding in these charities for these big corporations that are pretending to support anti-trafficking movements. They push a lot of money so that nobody will investigate them. You know, if you're giving uh, $500,000 to an anti-human trafficking organization, then why should anybody be looking at you to see if you are into human trafficking? Now, the thing about Ed Rowe is that he is working the angle from both doTERRA and the Church of Jesus Christ of Latter-day Saints. Because as I told you before, he is a member of the Area 70s. And he is using that position to help with the trafficking within the cult. So he's got his fingers everywhere. Uh, he is a very, very dirty man. He is evil. Uh, he is vile. And he wants control. Years ago, there was a man by the name of Warren Jeffs. Most people know the name, at least. Now, Warren Jeffs decided that he wanted a lot of power. And he was the golden child of Rulon Jeffs, who was the last what they consider a linear prophet of the fundamentalist Latter-day Saints. They call themselves the FLDS. And this religion, it the reason why it's called the FLDS is because they follow a lot of the same beliefs and tenets of the LDS church and doctrine, uh, but they still believe in polygamy. And there are a few other things that they believe are a bit different. Now, if you watch any of the documentaries on how Warren Jeffs came to power within the FLDS religion, he is a self-proclaimed prophet. He didn't wait for the line to get to him. He also didn't really wait for his dad to die before he started taking power. Now, the... The FLDS, they are mostly down in Hilldale, uh, Colorado City area, which is that town on Hilldale, Utah is on Utah side and Colorado City is on Arizona side. Um, we've talked about those two places before. Okay. So Warren Jeffs used the Olympics when they came to Utah to scare everybody into moving down to Hilldale so that he could have more control over them. They were in a more centralized location. He controlled the finances. He controlled the law enforcement. He controlled, well, everything. And nobody was the wiser other than the members of the FLDS church that disagreed with him. Now, here's the interesting thing. A lot of them really loved being members of the FLDS. But as soon as Warren Jeffs came into power, 
they hated it. Uh, they had no rights, no freedoms. They were they would be told which children to give over to Warren Jeffs and which children they had to marry off to cousins and relatives and, you know, all that inbreeding that's so great. Uh, and if you didn't, then you were punished by Warren Jeffs. You either had property taken from you or status taken from you or um, kids taken from you, actually. And then Warren would take whatever women he wanted. I, I air quote women because they were children. They were always minors. And he would keep them from their families. He would not allow his brides to have contact with their families on any regular basis because he didn't want it out what he was actually doing. So if a bride of his started talking, he would take them to these, what one of the escaped brides actually called concentration camp areas. They were barbed wire. There were watchtowers. They were watched 24-7. They had a shadow, a person who would follow them around all the time. They were required to pray constantly, to work, uh, to uh, please Warren Jeffs if he so desired. It was, they had no opinions, no thoughts, no freedom of their own. And there was absolutely no way to escape this. So when Warren Jeffs was coming into power, he would use his charisma, his knowledge, claim that uh, he was better, smarter than everybody else, and he starts doing this, you're not allowed to say anything negative, you're not allowed to go in against anything I want, all of your money has to go to me, all of your status comes from me, all of this. So Warren Jeffs had it pretty good. He figured that he was set, but he didn't like competition. So all of a sudden, you have these boys, teenage boys, that are showing up in the outskirts of the desert around Hilldale, Utah, because they like girls. <laughs> They're teenage boys. Of course they like girls. Warren Jeffs did not want the competition. So if he couldn't traffic these boys, and yes, he does still traffic uh, then he would kick them out. The term that he would use to kick them out was they were apostate. Now, if you looked at my common sense therapy page, I showed you the letter that I got sent and it stated that I was under investigation for actions that were apostate. Now, the definition of apostasy is outwardly going against 
the tenets of your religion. You have to do it publicly. You have to do it consistently. And it has to be done in the worst possible way. So here's an example of what true apostasy looks like. The Church of Jesus Christ of Latter-day Saints does not give the priesthood to women. But there was a group of women who wanted the priesthood. They called themselves the ordained women. And they just started claiming that they had the priesthood because they wanted it. Now, the church leadership came to them, especially the head of this organization, and said, you cannot be preaching this doctrine and remain in good standing as a member of the church. So you can either let this go or we're going to have to hold a council. And she didn't want to let it go. She kept going and kept going and kept pushing and kept pushing. So they held a council and they determined that she did not want to believe what the religion taught. So they removed her from the religion. Now, this really isn't I mean, if you don't want to be a part of the religion, then walk away. Don't be a part of the religion. It's it's not that big of a deal if you look at it as, well, I don't like what they're teaching. I want this and this and this. Well, then go and do this, this, and this. There were several people that decided to create their own faction of the LDS church uh, they call themselves the true Mormons. Sometimes they just call themselves the ex-Mormons. Sometimes they call themselves the fundamentalist Mormons. Uh, but they decided that they wanted to do their own thing and they went off and they started doing their own thing. Now, that is what actual apostasy is. It's where you are openly attacking the teachings of your religion. So having me be put on trial for apostasy is kind of ludicrous because there was zero proof that I ever attacked the doctrines of the religion openly. I didn't attack them in private. I happen to agree with the tenets of my religion, which is why I practice my religion. If I didn't agree with them, I wouldn't practice them. So the interesting thing was, I wasn't questioning the tenets of the religion. I was stating that the leaders, Charles Piper, Stephen Staley, were not doing what they were supposed to be doing in their callings. They were not taking care of the people they were supposed to be taking care of. And they were in league and in line with people who were going against the tenets of the religion. These were people that should have been disciplined, but that can't happen because Charles Piper made a pact with them. Now, Here's the, here's the thing that I'm, I'm going to 
I'm going to give you some information about Charles Piper that he doesn't want anybody to know. Now, he hates women. That isn't what he doesn't want anybody to know. What he doesn't want anybody to know is that the men don't like him. So the only way that he can stay in power is to give the women what they want. So he has to go and appease the women that he hates in order to keep the power that he wants because the men don't like him. There are so many stories around here about people who have had to work with him who almost quit their jobs because they had to work with him. They couldn't do it. And there are people who had to come to terms with the fact that their beliefs in the religion were stronger than what Charles Piper was throwing out there. Uh, just as an example of him trying to keep his power, uh, my business partner, Beth, she was called into a meeting with um, her husband and Charles Piper. Now, Beth's husband was an elder scorn president. This is kind of in the LDS religion, kind of the second in command of the organizations. Okay, so he's the one, and this is a stake calling. This one isn't called by the bishop. This one is called by the stake president. And he takes care of all of the men in the ward. While you have a Relief Society president, and that one is called by the bishop, and she takes care of all the women in the ward. And then you have the youth, and then you have the kids. So these, this is how it's all divided up, all right? So Beth is called in for a meeting with Charles Piper and her husband is there. Her husband is there and Charles puts his foot on Beth's foot underneath the desk so that her husband cannot see it. And he pulls himself really close and he looks right at her and he says, what you are saying and how you are questioning your priesthood authority could have your temple recommend removed what? There is nothing in the doctrine that states that you cannot question your church leaders. In fact, we are a church of volunteers. This is not a paid position at all. And we are encouraged to question our church leaders if we feel that what they are doing is incorrect. Now, there is a line of authority that you have to go through if you're going to question them, but we are encouraged. We are told, don't just follow like sheep. Think for yourself. If you don't like what's going on, then let the next person know, and then the next person know, and then the next person know. Yeah, that's what I did. And Charles Piper didn't like it. So he goes and he threatens Beth. Now, here's the other interesting thing about that. Uh, Beth and her family moved up onto the ranch for our business in July. And our ward at that time, uh, Beth's husband was the elder scorn president. There was no elder scorn president called to replace him. None. We could not figure out why the first presidency 
was ignoring that because that's huge. You don't function without an elders quorum president. So how was he getting away with this? We could not figure it out. If you went on the ward directory, there was no elders quorum president listed. You had nobody that you could call. And then when they did the dividing of the stake into the wackadoodle wards that Charles Piper did for his own benefit, uh, we found out because they released Beth's husband, who had not been a member of the stake for four months by that time. They finally released him in the meeting talking about dividing the wards. That is not how that works at all. That is not church protocol at all. As soon as the person is out of the ward, well, you're supposed to release them when you know they're moving, and then you call somebody else and you do it within their ward at the ward meeting. You don't wait and you don't lie about it. Oh, weird. So when I found out that that's when... (laughs) Uh, Beth's husband was finally released. I went and said, ah, that's how he got away with it. He went and he didn't tell the first presidency. He didn't tell the church office that he didn't have an elders quorum president. He just kept him on the books and claimed that it was fine. So when you're looking at how Charles Piper works, you can see so many similarities between him and Warren Jeffs. Now, he's going to take that as a compliment, but it's not. It is terrifying. And they need to start paying attention to the fact that every single thing he sends to the First Presidency is mostly lie. Now, why I say mostly is because if it were all lie, he'd get caught. Remember how, when we talked about that? You cannot do a full-on lie or you're going to get found out. So what Charles Piper does is he gets the women and he makes sure that he gives them what they want while hating them. He's got to hate that. And then he lies to the people that are above him. And that is how he has started building his cult. Now, what does this mean? What this means is that the evil that is trying to say it's all my fault and that I'm doing everything and that I'm the problem, I have not done any of this. It is all coming from Charles Piper, Charles Pipkin, Rachel Pipkin, uh, Michelle Morell. They are the ones that are going around, cowering, hiding, spreading lies, and claiming that they have all the power in the world because the people here are giving it to them. Nobody is standing up and saying, stop, this is not right. We should not be putting up with this. I don't care if you like me or not. That does not make their actions correct. It needs to be taken care of. The problem is, it is being taken care of. 
but not in the way that the cult leader and the traffickers were hoping. I do have these connections that Michelle Morell claims I don't have. I didn't just sprout up when I moved to Goshen. I have a ton of experiences. I have I have lived all over the place. I have traveled. I know people and they know me. So when I say that there is a hit out or that there are people who are not happy with what the traffickers are doing, I'm not making that up. No, I'm not the one who has the hit out and I'm not the one who is making these people angry. I'm not dumb enough to make these people angry. I have self-preservation. <laughs> I don't want to make them angry. But you have to understand that there are criminal groups that hate traffickers. That How bad is that? That is terrible. I mean, we, what we've got here is the evil hating the more evil. So you have to look at the fact that they are destroying themselves. However, that isn't how we should let these cult leaders and traffickers take care of things or be taken care of. We need to stand up and say, this is evil. This is vile. And whether you like who is saying it or not does not change how evil and vile it really is.